0: Welcome to episode 50 of the process born to strike. Welcome to the Process Podcast. Today we have the head football coach of Florida AM University, Coach Willie Simmons. Welcome to the podcast, Coach Simmons. Oh, pleasure to be on. Uh, coach, can you tell the listeners where you're from? Uh, I grew up in a small town of Quincy, Florida. It's about 20 miles west of Tallahassee. So I, I grew up in Rattler land. Um, my entire family went to Florida and then my mother was the first five in her family. They graduated from here my god brother played football here for ken riley uh, my wife is a two-time soon to be three-time graduate of Florida a and uh, my older son lewis is actually rising uh, or senior, uh, a senior in his senior year here now so that was in our blood oh yeah rattler-blooded so what was it like you know growing up there as a child oh uh, you know quincy's uh um, you know unique in the sense where uh, we're housing the only county in the state of Florida that's predominantly African American. And so, um, elementary school, middle school, high school, uh, basically went to school with all blacks. And uh, in this county, the, the, the white kids go to private school, the black kids go to public school. So I um, grew up in a pretty segregated area, even in the you know, late 80s and, and early 90s. And, um, but, End up meeting a lot of great people. Um, you learn a lot, a lot about hard work. It's a big uh, spiritual community. A lot of churches, and obviously when you're um, next to two major universities, it's Florida and and Florida State. Um, you know, you learn a lot about athletics. You know, really good football. So I grew up in the Charlie Ward era, and so he was one of my early idols. Um, when I first started playing quarterback, he was quarterback in Florida State at the time. So um, wanted to be like Charlie Ward and. Uh, you know, as a a young black quarterback. and So just a lot of great memories uh, about sports and just, you know, really learning how to navigate through a a segregated area and uh, not really knowing a lot about the real world until I got to college and started to see a little bit more. But a lot of great experiences and a lot of values that I still try to carry with me to this day. Hey, that's that's a good segue into my next question. I was going to ask, you know, when did you become so interested in football um, and what, you know, inspired you or, or, or piqued your interest in football? <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I started playing sports, organized sports when I was eight years old. Um, well, probably before that, playing T-ball. So, in County, um, not a lot of industry. You know, most, most people that work were in the school system uh, were teachers. Um, there's a hospital here, there's a mental hospital here in the county. Uh, or law enforcement. Those were really the, the opportunities that many people had. Um, so, you know, to stay out of trouble, we, we played ball. And so played football, basketball, and baseball from the time I was eight all the way until my junior year in high school. And uh, we, you know, depending on who you ask, I was pretty good at all three of them. Um, but once I realized I wasn't gonna be six five and playing in the NBA, <laughs> um, I, I, I decided to, to pick one or the other. And football was kind of my meal ticket. I was always a good student. My mother was an educator here in the county for 29 years and always preached the importance of of getting a quality education and accepting nothing less than straight A's from me. So um, just had a great foundation in both athletics and academics and, um, you know, played the game since I was eight years old. And by the time I got about my sophomore year in high school, I realized I was good enough to to go to college and, and earn a college scholarship. So that's really when things kind of took off for me. But Football has been something I've always loved, always had a passion for and um, as a player, and and I've been able to find that same love and admiration as a, as a coach now going into my 15th year coaching. So, you know, after a great high school career at Shanks and being named big, being Officer Player of the Year, you know, what led you to Clemson to the other bouton? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Tommy was a hot coach at the time. He was just coming off an undefeated season at Tulane. Um, Clemson was one of those schools that recruited me um, going into my junior year. So they're in there with a list of about 10 schools who had really been hard and heavy on me um, ever since my sophomore year. And uh, Rick Stockstill, who was my recruiting coach, who ultimately ended up um, being the receivers coach there and, and, and gave me my first job when he became the head coach at Middle Tennessee State, um, was, was just a great recruiter. You know, he really did a great job of. of not only getting to know me but really getting to know my family and uh is a family small town family environment and i wanted to go to school somewhere that that had that same type of, of environment where it was all about family um not a big city you know i was never a big city guy and Clemson just checked a lot of boxes uh felt like it gave me an opportunity to play early uh, they had my major at the time wanted to be an engineer and then they to they re- have they have a really great engineering school so when I went through my list of wants of and needs, uh, they were the, the one school that checked all the boxes. And uh, they were coming in with a high-powered offense, and that was something that was attractive to me as a quarterback, uh, being able to play in a spread offense. That was kind of revolutionary at the time. Entering Clemson, you know, coming from Quincy, going up to Clemson, South Carolina, entering Clemson as a freshman, uh, what were your goals, and how did you adjust moving away from home? Well I had I had big goals and big dreams and aspirations. And I tell everyone, uh Deshaun Watson kinda lived out my dream uh 17 sixteen, seventeen years after after I had it. And <laughs> I, I, I envision myself being a quarterback to come in and, and you know, win a Heisman trophy and, and win a national championship, be a first round draft pick and you know, all those big big goals and dreams that I set for myself. Um, you know, it didn't work out that way but still had a had a, a, a memorable career. Um, Graduated from there in three years. Uh, met a lot of great people and I uh, had, a, had a great experience, but uh, moving away from home was something that I felt I needed to do. That was one of the reasons uh, that I did look away. You know, Florida State was a place that I grew up near, 20 minutes away. Had a lot of uh, people and some high school teammates that, that had played there and um, guys that I knew that, that had played there. But I just felt it was important for me to kind of get out and, and really um, expose myself to a world outside of gas and pounding, so to speak. Um, growing up here in a small town, I knew that if I went to school 20 minutes away, that I'd be home every weekend at grandmother's house, you know, going to church, eating Sunday dinner, and, and not really just uh, being exposed to what's outside of this area. So that was one of the biggest reasons I decided to leave home. And once I got there, I knew that's where I needed to be. So uh, that little bit of homesickness that we all experienced parents, I was able to, able to overcome it pretty quickly. Can you explain what it took to graduate as a student athlete with, with three years? And what was your what was your motivation for that? Well, I was fortunate to be a dual enrolled student uh, in high school. So once I entered my sophomore year in high school, um, I was able to take college courses at the the local community college here, Ties Community College, as a part of the dual enrollment program. And so I graduated high school with sixty three college hours, um, basically one hour short of my AA degree uh once i got to clemson um i think they took about 49 of those hours so i went into college technically as a second semester sophomore and so had i not changed my major three times in a, in a year's span i would have graduated clemson in two years uh, which would obviously have been the fastest at the time three is the fastest any players ever graduated from there a couple of guys have, have uh, matched that um, but i would have graduated a lot sooner had i stuck to uh, engineering or even communications which I switched to my, the fall and then I switched again to marketing going into that following spring so um, but education has always been uh, something that that's near and good to me like I said I grew up raised by an educator you know my mom all she ever wanted to be was a teacher and she instilled in me at a very early age that the key to, to my success would be in education not how how far through a football or how uh, how well I hit a baseball or how well I shot a basketball but it was going to be my mind, the, the the information that I was able to receive and attain uh, through grade school, high school, and even in college and beyond. So I always just felt that that was my most important asset and I wanted to make sure that I had something that no one could ever take away. What was your initial plan after graduating from Clemson? What was that? Well, I kind of bounced around a few ideas. Um, I was a marketing major, and settled on marketing, uh, Talked about being a sports agent. I knew I wanted to be around the game. I uh, just didn't know in what capacity. Um, never really thought about coaching. Uh, Fun as it sounds, that was never in my career plans. Um, wanted to be wanted to be a sports agent. Uh, once I couldn't break into that, uh, looked at potentially sales. So looked at pharmaceutical sales, insurance sales. Uh, just trying to use my marketing degree to 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 you know get a good job and springboard uh, my professional career and uh, just kind of stumbled upon coaching. Played one-year arena football up in Sioux City, Iowa. And as I was driving back uh, to Florida, one of my good buddies was the defensive coordinator at one of the prominent high schools in Tallahassee. And just reached out out of the blue, called me and asked me if I'd be willing to come coach their quarterbacks. And because I really didn't have a solid plan at the time, um, I felt there would be a way to kind of buy some time and figure out what I ultimately wanted to do. I agreed to do it and once I got there and started coaching I was able to coach B.J. Daniels uh, who ended up being a uh, starting quarterback of South Florida and playing a, a long career in the NFL. Uh, that's when I fell in love with the game and I really knew right, right then that coaching was my call And uh, but it, it kind of stumbled, it fell in my lap. I, I'll admit that I, I wasn't one of those guys that grew up saying that I always wanted to be a coach but I'm, I'm thankful that uh, the good Lord um, led me down that path because there's nothing that I'd rather be doing. Speaking of of B.J. Daniels, man, that was my college roommate, man. B.J. is a great guy, (laughs) man. He's a great guy. He is. So how was your transition from um, Clemson to uh, the Citadel? Uh, Well, yeah, I think many FAMU people uh, know that I first attempted to transfer to FAMU uh, my senior year. Uh, My last year, my mom was battling kidney failure at the time. was on dialysis, so she wasn't able to really see me play a whole lot during my college career. So I wanted to finish close to home so I could be there for her, help take care of her. And our family was just a perfect fit. Uh, Billy Joe was doing great things here, winning a bunch of games. Uh, their quarterbacks were putting up uh, big time numbers. I felt that if I was gonna have a shot at the next level, um, that was my best opportunity to come down here and play in the Gulf Coast offense. Um, obviously that was the year that Florida and I made the decision to uh, transition to become a Division I FBS program, uh, one day at a time, and because of that decision uh, myself along with I think 13 other transfers were deemed ineligible by the NCAA. And so uh, that that was a, 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 it was a whirlwind uh, because we were in training camp. <laughs> it was about around this time actually that we got the ruling and I had to try to find somewhere real quickly to go and uh, try to earn a job, starting a job within a week's time. And fortunately the Citadel was a school that um, had recruited me when I first left Clemson. I had a lot of former Clemson coaches and uh, there that were that were uh, familiar with with me, and um, I was able to get in there and, and win the job, and, and you know make all conference first team and lead us to our first uh, you know non losing season in 10 years. So uh, it, was, it was a great experience at last year, but uh, you know my first plan was to was to wear the weather on the green. I get to coach the coach to on the green now. My first my first plan was to wear the weather on the green as a starting quarterback here at FAMU. Did you see yourself being a coach? No, at the time, no, never. Uh, like I said, coaching was never something that I uh, thought about. You know, I was always a leader, obviously, as a quarterback. Uh, back then, we huddled, you know, so it was that old school, looking 10 guys in the face and calling the play, challenging guys in between plays. So, you know, I always, I always had leadership qualities. Um, but, again, coaching was something that I never really anticipated. Uh, Again, I I, I accepted the opportunity to coach here at the high school uh, as, like I said, a way to kind of buy time until I really figured out what my long-term plan was. I actually went on two interviews um, while I was coaching here, one with New York Life uh, down in Orlando and one with Pfizer Pharmaceuticals up in South Carolina. And um, I basically was offered the the job in Orlando, work for New York Life. Uh, But once I started coaching the high school and just seeing the relationship that I had built with the guys and just, you know, the the impact that I was having on them on a day-to-day basis, that's when I really knew what my calling was and it was to to be able to impact young men like myself that grew up uh, playing the game and really being able to learn a lot from the game that would equip me and others for for life after football and allow us to be better husbands, better fathers, uh, better community advocates, um, church members you name it, and that's what the game allows us to do. So like I said, I'm glad I stumbled upon it um, because like I said, there's nothing that, that I'd rather be doing. I think this is what God has put me on the earth to do, which is lead them men. So what is one of the greatest joys that being a coach, a head coach, brings to you? Just whenever you see a guy um, accomplish his goals, whether that be the NFL, um, graduating, uh, whenever I get a wedding invites, um, pictures or texts from guys, Showing me, you know, their, their first, uh, their firstborns, um, just, all, just all of the, the, the hard work coming, uh, you know, culminating into a successful life. That's my highlight. You know, again, I, I I'd be lying if I said it was an on the field moment. If it was a championship or a big win or something like that, all those things are great. But uh, again, I do this because it gives me a chance every day to, to impact the lives of hundreds of young men, young men that I know will go on to be future leaders of, of tomorrow. And whenever I can see one of those guys, um, again, accomplish their lifelong goals, not just NFL-wise, but just in life, that those are the highlights. And So um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that Kevin Byer, the guy that I recruited the Middle Tennessee State, um, signed at the time the largest contract ever for safety, but it gives me a lot more joy when I see guys like DeAndre Cowles, um, a young man who nobody really gave a chance to at Middle Tennessee State. Um, Work for a successful company, and be and be able to to do some great things. To see a Javante Ham, a young man from from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, um, that I coached at Prairie View, who uh, has his own um, company now that that you know I can buy stock in. Uh, you see Kenneth Gilstrap, a guy recruited um, who actually that I actually hired as my corner, coach, my first year at FAMU, um, write a book, you know, and so those those are the things that really make what we do worthwhile when you see the young men that you recruit, that you coach, um, really go on to do amazing things in life. And um, I think I speak for most coaches to say that's our most gratifying moments. How was the transition from being a student athlete to a coach? Well, the the transition from being a student athlete to a coach, um, as a a student athlete, you, you never really fully appreciate the, the time that coaches put into what we do. Um, you know we we, we used to coming to the office as players and seeing the coach there. We're used to calling them on the phone telling them that we have an issue and he, he does what he needs to do to take care of it. Um, we, we used to ask him a question about a play and him being able to tell me what I need to do in that certain situation. Uh, but until you actually sit in this seat and you, you see the amount of work it takes to be a good coach, then you incorporate the recruiting into it, um, all the off-field duties that we have as a head coach, talking about fundraising, um, alumni fairs, all of those things, Um, it's it's a lot. But I I tell everyone, I mean, what what, what you do in sports and football, you try to learn um, the qualities and traits that you need to be successful in whatever endeavor you choose. You know, I just chose coaching. But I think the same things that make um, once successful as a football coach, all the same traits and characteristics that would make you successful in any field that you choose. And that's just you know having a, a drive, having a work ethic, being uh, dedicated and having great time management skills, uh, and really being able to prioritize the things that are important and making time for them and being able to sacrifice the things that aren't so important. So um, I, I think that's one thing that I've learned. I, I really truly believe that whatever field I would have chosen that I would have had a chance to be successful because of my drive, because of the the things that were placed in me as a young man growing up in Quincy, Florida. And um, it's just, I chose coaching, or coaching chose me rather. And um, I tried to uh, apply those same uh, principles. And I think that's why I've had a a level of success. Were there any challenges that you had to overcome? Uh, Being a black man in America is always a challenge. And uh, that's something that, uh, we can all attest to on this call. Um, you know, I've had, to, I've had to overcome the challenges of being a, a, a black quarterback. Um, I'm not six three, six four, six five. I was a, a six-foot quarterback you know, that was playing in an area where that wasn't necessarily the popular thing. Now you have the Russell Wilsons. You have the Kyler Murrays. Um, you have those guys that are quote-unquote undersized as far as Height's concerned that have, have been very successful. Uh, but 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. You know, you might have had one or two guys. Um, Jeff Blake was a guy that, that that I followed that was, you know, right around six feet. But the Randall Cunninghams, the Warren Moons, the Steve Manairs, uh, those guys were huge, you know. But being able to – trying to – excuse me, trying to overcome the narrative that uh, a, a, a black guy can't play the quarterback position has been an obstacle that, I've, that I had overcome. And then as a coach, it's, it's much the same. Um, having to overcome the obstacle of being – a minority uh, who is an offensive-minded coach um, who who aspired to be an offensive coordinator you know who aspired to be a head coach and, and i had to work extremely hard had to um, prove a lot of people um, wrong and had to really show that that i could put a game plan together that i could lead um, an offensive staff an offensive unit and ultimately to lead an entire team in an entire program. And so as African-Americans, that's one of the biggest things that we're battling today is that we feel that uh, enough of us aren't getting those opportunities to show that we can be coordinators at the highest level, that we can be head coaches at the highest level and that we can have extreme levels of success. And so that's something that I've had to battle and overcome. And I think I can speak for most of my um, African-American counterparts in this profession to that say that's something that we're, that we're all battling to this day uh, to try to overcome. What attributes did you learn during your time as a student athlete that you hope to impart on your athletes? Well, time management is one of the biggest ones. Um, I think that's one of the things, just talking to my guys on a, on a daily basis. Um, they all seem to feel like they are not enough hours in the day. You know, when you play the game and you're waking up early in the morning and you're going to treatment then you turn around you're going to wait then you have class uh you have position meetings then you have practice then you have study table and then whatever time you have left you know you feel like you get to hang out if you're a, a, a regular student um, but once they come into my office and, and, I, and i do the same thing with all of them um I, I just sit down with them and get on the board and i list out a week you know uh, what their time restraints are throughout the entire week you know 168 hours in a week and uh, once you account for the 20 hours that we get for football, then you account for the you know the, the seven hours that you need to get per night for sleep. So seven days you round it up to 50 hours. Um, and then that's, seven, that's 70 hours. You know 20 hours of, of football, seven, uh, 50 hours of, 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 of sleep. Uh, you got 15 hours of class. Then you incorporate your, your eight hours a week of study table. Um, and then once you look at that you realize you have a lot more hours left in the, in the week. That you probably realize and uh, that you probably think about and so just really trying to learn time management uh, and really just trying to to, to develop strong habits. Um, I think any successful person um, will tell you that they have good habits and so those are the two, two things that I really try to learn as a football player that I think I, I, I try to carry over to my team. One is great time management and two, just developing great habits. And then um, the other, you know, philosophies that I have, I've kind of developed along the way, once I thought about things that, that um, values that I had growing up that I think translate to success and in in, in, in life. Being from the Tallahassee area, the Big Bend area, you know, and once wanting to transfer to FAMU as a student athlete, how did it feel being named the 18th head coach of Florida a football program? <laughs> uh, it was a dream come true. It was really a surreal feeling. Um, I think every coach, when when you get into the profession, uh, we all have what we consider our "quote unquote" dream jobs, and those are jobs that we love to have, that we feel like would be just great fits, um, amazing opportunities. And family for me has always been one of those dream jobs. Um, I, I, I actually interviewed for the job um, back in 2015, I believe. You know when I. Uh, accepted the head, the, the head coaching job at Prairie View. Um, FAMU was going through a coaching change as well. And uh, Prairie View offered me the job first. And, and I accepted that opportunity to go to, to go to Texas. And I uh, thank God I did. Um, because again, I, I think I learned a lot during that time at Prairie View. And honestly speaking, I don't know if I was ready for FAMU at the time, <laughs> I don't know if FAMU was ready for me at the time. But, um, but when I got the call uh, from, from that letter director at the time, Dr. John Easton, um, it was a surreal feeling. And uh, it was a numbing feeling, you know, my wife and I, uh, we, we really just took the whole day just to really just reflect and, and, and pray and just, you know, say, is it really real? Because again, she's a graduate from here. She's a fourth generation Rattler. Um, like I said, again, I was raised by Rattlers everyone one of my family who went to college to Florida. And the opportunity for me to come back here as a coach, knowing that I once tried to come here as a player um, was just a, a, an unbelievable experience. And. Just the, the, the love and admiration that I have from, from my close family, from my friends, from classmates I grew up with. Um, for them to just see now that one of their own is the head coach at such a prestigious institution is, is again, it's a, it's a humbling experience. And I'm, I'm very grateful and thankful uh, for, for the opportunity to be the head coach of FAMU. And I wanna make sure I do everything in my power to, to make everyone proud and, and get this program back to the level of success that uh, we grew up knowing. What are you looking forward to for the Florida A&M football program? Uh, well, like I said, just looking forward to bringing it back to that level. Um, you know, when you talk about black college football, I think there are really two programs that, that are synonymous with with success. And that's, that's the Gremlin State uh, under Eddie Robinson and that's Florida A&M um, under Jake Gaither. There's some other programs, some other legendary coaches obviously along the way. But when you look at what um, Eddie Robinson and Jake Gaither did respectively uh, for, for their institutions and black college football in, in general um, it, it's definitely an amazing feat and so uh, i want to i want to usher in that same level of success when you look at jake gaither I and mean, he won 22 out of 25 conference championships you know during his time here uh, and that that's that's a, a record that i don't know if anyone will ever break it but it's definitely something to aspire to but i truly believe that you can be one of, if not the premier um, institution at the FCS level, um, not just the HBCU level. You know, we have big dreams and big goals here. You know, we want to we want to be a national brand. You know, we want to be a brand that uh, a kid in California, the state of Washington, the state of New York, um, if they hear Florida A&M, when they see that Rapper logo, they know what it is and they know what it stands for. And I think that can be achieved through a strong football program. And so that's the goal, that's the vision that I have for this, for this, uh, for this football program. And, um, I think we can recruit quality young men here that can achieve that goal. I can uh, hopefully attract quality coaches here that that want to see FAMU uh, get back to that level, and that's why I brought in coaches like, like Billy Rowe, who you you mentioned earlier, and you know, great men who, excuse me, who love FAMU, um, who have a vision for FAMU that's shared by me and everyone else, and um, I think we're well on our way to doing that. So looking back over, you know, your life and your career as a student athlete and now as a coach, you know, what advice would you give your younger self? Uh, just, you know, again, really think long and hard about the decisions that you make. Um, think, think twice before you act on certain things. Really um, consider the ramifications of your actions. Um, the, the, the words you speak, um, the way you, you, you deal with people. Um, and, and the information that you, or the, the knowledge that you gain from people that you're around. Um, I've learned a lot over my you know, soon to be 40 year life. Um, a lot of things to do from some amazing people and uh, my fair share of things of what not to do. And um, I, I've been blessed. I, I've had the grace of God over my life to, to see me through a lot of adverse situations. And um, some were avoidable, some weren't. And, um, but just to be able to avoid the situations that I could control, and really just, you know, as like the saying goes, control the controllables, which is, you know, me. You know, how I look at things, how I prepare for things, um, how I approach certain situations, and, and, and ultimately um, being able to have some say as to what happens as far as my life and my career in the, relationship, the relationships that I have. So if I look back on my younger self when I was 13, 14, really coming to my identity, who I was, that's what I would, that's what I would tell myself. Our podcast is called The Process Podcast. And so we want to ask you, what does trust in the process mean to you? Well, basically, I think it's a word that we as coaches all use in some capacity. Um, I think Nick Saban has kind of put the patent on the process. But um, to me, it means basically it, it goes back into what we call our seven Fs. And, um, you know, we have seven words in our program that all being in the letter F, one for each day of the week. And we feel like if we do those seven things, in every aspect of life will be successful. And uh, those things are simply having, on Sunday, we talk about having great faith. You know, faith in a higher power, faith in ourselves, faith in um, the work that has to be put in to be successful. Uh, Monday, we talk about having great fundamentals, which is developing great habits and um, you know doing things over and over again that that lead to success. Um, Tuesday, we talk about fasting, uh, which in, in, the, in the biblical sense is sacrifice. You know, really being able to give, give things up that that um, will stand in your way of being successful, um, and also from an athletic sense about having a sense of urgency. Uh, Wednesday we talk about fighting, you know, overcoming adversity um, because we know it's going to come in some shape, form, or fashion. We don't get to control uh, when it comes to how it comes, but we get to control how we deal with it. Thursday we talk about finishing, you know, seeing everything through to the very end. You know, never never beginning something without understanding that there's an end goal in mind and that we're going to work diligently to achieve that. Uh, Friday, we talk about having fun, you know, having a genuine love for what we do, a love for our brothers, a love for um, just th- this experience, this this time that we get to play this wonderful game of football. And then finally, on Saturday, we talk about being a family. And that's just a oneness, like I said, a brotherhood that transcends um, every every area of life. I mean, it transcends race, it transcends uh, ethnicity, it transcends, um, religious preference, sexual orientation, you name it, um, The family that we that we talk about transcends all of those things. And we sit, and we feel like we're all in this thing together. And so when we say process, we talk about those seven things. And if you uh, apply those seven things to football, we feel like you'll be successful and win championships, if you apply those seven things to, to your academics, you feel like' you'll, you'll leave family with a phenomenal degree. If you apply those seven things to your personal lives. We feel like you'll be a great husband one day, a great father, a great friend, um, a great brother, you know, whatever the case may be. And we feel like we apply those things to your professional life, that you'll have a long, successful uh, career that will give you a chance to do a lot of great things. So uh, when we talk about process, we we break it down into those seven aspects. And uh, we feel like if we achieve those things every day, that uh, success will, will, will come, you know, eventually. Awesome, awesome. We want to thank you so much for taking the time out to join us and, and to share your story with us. Uh, do you have any lasting words that you would like to leave with the listeners? Just you know, again, with everything that's going on um, now with our society, with the social injustices, um, just for us to stay diligent and, and and stay stay the course. You know, again, it's going to take uh, a lot. Um, these things aren't going to change overnight. Um, they didn't they didn't start overnight and they're not gonna end overnight. So it's gonna take all of us, you know, um, coming together, um, really just having open and honest dialogue about the the plights of African-Americans in this country. Um, I I think um, it's it's probably as heightened as it's been, uh, probably since the the civil rights era, (laughs) you know, obviously now with social media, it's even more highlighted because of um, cell phones and cameras and all the things where we can actually see it um, every day, So when you see the things that have happened, um, you know, with, with George Floyd in and, and, and the recent uh, situation up in, up in Milwaukee, um, you know, with, with Breonna Taylor, and the list goes on and on. Um, I think it's incumbent upon all of us as leaders to make sure our voices are heard, make sure that we listen to our players, that we listen to anyone who's affected by um, the, the terrible tragedies that are going on in our country, and that we all put our collective heads together to figure out how we can overcome it. And uh, if we can do that, I think brighter days are ahead. Um, But uh, again, uh, it's definitely a a subject that um, can't go, um, can't go, can't be swept under the rug. You know, we have to speak about it. And I know it makes a lot of people uncomfortable, but that's when real change happens when we're able to have uncomfortable conversations about things that affect other people. So hopefully everyone listening, you know, empathize with, with everyone who's suffering through these tough times and uh, hopefully you, you feel um, an obligation to do more um, and, and so hopefully you know, if, if we do that like I said I think we can all achieve greatness so that's those are my parting words but I appreciate you guys the opportunity to be on and uh, I look forward to hopefully uh, catching up again uh, later on. This episode was brought to you by Overcome Achieve Clothing. Allow what you have overcome to fuel the flame of persistence as you face and conquer your next challenge. Wear your truth, Overcome. I think the main thing for me was trying to decide on who am I and like what I wanna be and how I wanna be remembered. Like that was my thing. Right? You know, oftentimes I think about like my legacy and like the mark that I wanna leave, not only on the industry, but the effect that I wanna leave on people. Being a whole human being, going through my obstacles, going through the things that I'm going through, and not to only broadcast these things but for it to inspire change